I invite you to remain standing as we hear the gospel of the day. It comes to us from Luke in the 13th chapter, beginning with verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your home is left to you, and I tell you that you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth, the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and our hopeful resurrection. For we pray in that name alone. Amen. The Hebrew Bible sets the stage. We have Abram and his seemingly hopeless life put before us. You see, Abram has left all he had, his family, his friends, his, his acquaintances, his property, and followed this unseen God. There is no other family with him other than his aging wife, Sarai. There are no heirs. There was a distant nephew somewhere down the line. His prospects in the future looked totally hopeless. Yet according to this Lord God, he would have land and he would have descendants that outnumbered the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach. All that was to come from Father Abraham. But how could that be? You and I are a very learned people and they got it back then as well, I think, Older women and older men, too, sometimes do not have the capacity to bear children in their later years. And let me affirm, Sarah and Abram were very old. And Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, has his picture plastered in every post office in the Judean Valley as the most wanted by King Herod. Herod didn't want to pay homage this time like he has in the early chapter of Matthew. Now what he wants to do is to kill Jesus. No holes barred Herod put it out there. Jesus was going to die, and he was going to die by Herod's hand. This was not the plan of God. Jesus had to make it, according to the plan, to ground zero to Jerusalem. And there, like all the prophets before him, there and only there could he be killed. It would be in Jerusalem that the end would come. Not before, according to the plan, but Herod's king. Herod makes the rules. 
People obey what Herod says, and now it seems hopeless for Jesus, the hope of creation. If Herod cut it short, if Herod ended it, what would become of God's great plan? Would it be thwarted? And would we be without hope? In 1983, I was summoned to appear back home in Florida. So I had to leave Atlanta to go to Leesburg, Florida to appear before the Florida Board of Ordained Ministry for my interviews as back then a probationary member and a deacon. I had 12 months of seminary under me as compared to my peers who were going down who had 18 months or more. Strike one. I had started seminary in the middle of the year with about eight other friends in January of 1982. Only one of two cohorts that ever did it because Candler decided this just doesn't work. Thanks a lot for telling us now. But I went ahead and I prepared my paperwork to the best of my abilities. Strike two. All of you who know me well by now know that I can't spell a lick and my grammar stinks. So I loaded it all up, climbed into my 82 baby blue VW Rabbit, and headed down the interstate to Leesburg. Strike three. As I exited the exit toward Leesburg, thinking about my paperwork, I should have been thinking about my driving as I rear-ended someone. The rear-ending didn't help the rabbit either. I was to be interviewed by an astute group of the best clergy of the Florida Annual Conference. Strike four. They intimidated me something fierce. They all seemed so learned, so powerful, so august. I was hopeless. Needless to say, in my interview, I was a bundle of anxiety and of fear, and I presented so. The only question I remember to this day being asked was thrown to me like a softball by Bishop Charlene Kammerer, who was just then Reverend Kammerer. She liked me, so she threw this softball and said, explain to us God's adoptionism. Thanks. Well, I messed that one up miserably as I looked at the faces of the board interviewing me and saw the very pained expressions on their faces, these spiritual giants who were preachers in Florida. Names that still haunt me to this day. When my time of interview was over, I left feeling like a total failure. My only support would have been my home pastor, Ray Harrison, but he had been called away to do a funeral. So there was no one there to give me an attaboy, to encourage me along the way. And I drove home to my parents' house in Brandon, Florida, to visit my dad who just had surgery when the call came. Thank you for the interview, but we don't see it. And so we're going to defer you for future reference. And we're going to send you a list of 18 concerns we'd like you to address. I didn't see how I'd ever make it back to seminary. Why? It was hopeless. 
let alone it was hopeless ever becoming a pastor in the Florida Annual Conference amongst these giants. It's there, my friends, in the wilderness of hopelessness where no person really ever wants to be. No one hangs out because it's fun. Because the desert wilderness is useless to so many people. But it's in that same wilderness that God comes forth in God's power and God's majesty to confront hopelessness. The impossibilities of life put before us. It's very appropriate then for us to be following in this Lenten season the lengthy journey narrative that Luke gives for Jesus as he moves throughout his ministry to Jerusalem. Dr. Fred Craddock, one of my seminary professors, says that this journey that Luke describes is similar to as Christians being pilgrims who are on the way, who are on the journey, the long journey of life, and most of it is spent in a wilderness and in hopelessness. Abram was a pilgrim following in faith a faith that he could not see. He was a pilgrim following the promises of a God that he could not touch. It was counted to him, they say in the King James Version, as righteousness. This following the name of the one. It didn't happen overnight. In fact, it took many years and toils and snares and all that happened throughout his life. Many years before he and Sarah, who became Sarah got to have a child in their very advanced age. Hopelessness turned to hope yet again. But it took even longer for the promise of the land because, in fact, it took Sarah's death so that Abraham bought a grave site to place her remains in that became the center of the promised land. Even in grief and more hopelessness, Hope sprung like a bud pushing through the hard, crusted earth, trying to bring new life and the fulfillment of a promise. It was a truly hopeless situation. There was no escape for Jesus. He was bound to be caught and strung up by Herod. So how did he escape the clutches of the king, the most powerful ruler in the area? The wilderness of hopefulness was surrounding Jesus and promising to end the very plans of God. Yes, even God's plans can at times be thwarted. But surprisingly, there was a group that came to Jesus to warn him. Anybody remember who was that group? The Pharisees. The Pharisees came to warn and offer assistance. Yes, you got it. Pharisees, the enemies of Jesus, came and warned him and offered their support. Hope, my friends, sometimes comes from the most unlikely source, if we're open to receive it. And through it all, Jesus kept his face and his heart on the task that was ever before him. Even as the wilderness creeped in all around him, he continued to cast out the demons. He continued to tell evil to go away. 
He continued to touch broken lives and bring healing to them all. This was his task. And with or without a sense of hope, he pushed on. He pushed on to Jerusalem, the place that kills those who love it the most, but who would bring hope for a vast majority of creation. I returned to Atlanta, and with that cursed blue stationary letter of 18 concerns from the Florida Board of Ordained Ministry, I vowed to keep on keeping on the task to which I had been called. The wilderness all around me and hope all but gone, I hung on to the fact that in the name of this God who called me, I would see it through somehow. This God would not leave me there. So I worked on 18 concerns. I worked with a coach. I worked with a counselor. I worked with a mentor. I worked with faculty. And I opened my heart to my friends and took their guidance and support when my home in Florida didn't want me anymore. The pastor named Judd Hodges, a big old guy, who would shake your hand, and he had a class ring. He'd turn it around and crush your hand. Told me that this was to be my home now. Told me that all of this hopelessness was so that God could bring me to a new home called North Georgia. And you know how that all turned out, right? You too have had wilderness journeys Maybe you're on one just now where it's just seeming so hopeless. But hold fast, beloved. God will go with you. God will go beside you. God will go ahead of you. And in the name of the Lord, even if you can't see Him or feel God, God will bring you hope again. It's what God does through Jesus. While some of this may seem nothing compared to Abraham's problems and Jesus' hopeless situation, my time of hopelessness was still very real to me. It was yet again another desert experience that was hopeless. Perhaps a third world issue for some of you. But to God, I want to assure you, every issue that we deal with, every moment that we are in a wilderness journey, God is concerned and involved and with us. This is where in the wilderness the Word of God can reach our ears and our hearts best and frame a mind. And it can cultivate that heart and it can build and birth hope again. Since ancient times, the commentators say, the desert is a place where Israel's expectation of the end were associated. For it is in the ancient belief that the end shall be the beginning. Here, at the end of all, God can move us to a new beginning, to a life of repentance, to a heart so full of hope Another way might be to state it as Paul does to the church at Corinth when he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in hopelessness. I'm adapting. 
That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in hopelessness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am hopeless, then God is hope. Blessings abound, my friends, for those who come in the name of the Lord. Hopelessness is always countered with that name of Jesus Christ. It's not a magic wand. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not rose-colored glass theology. And it is not that which can be fully pigeonholed. But it is a hope. A hope in the name of the Lord. And the hopelessness that cannot be denied or taken away from us, but can be overcome with the love of God. This God who calls each of us according to God's purpose when we are faithful, even when each, every, every part of us wants to give up, we continue moving forward in this wilderness. We can know God will meet us and lead us in God's faith because ultimately, God loves you. We are the beloved children of God with whom God is well pleased we always have this hope, as we always have God. My friends, I encourage you in these 40 days to embrace the wilderness journey for all God can do in it and through us if we look for the presence and go boldly in the name of the Lord. One more step, and one more step, and one more. In the name of the Creator, and of the Redeemer, and of the Sustainer. Amen.